Welcome to Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. Join our host, Jacob Koenig, a partner at Woodbridge International, as he gives you the knowledge to navigate complexities, embrace strategic shifts, and prepare you to sell your business with no regrets. At Woodbridge, we know how to give you the wisdom to achieve your ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Jacob Koenig. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. Today, we're joined by Jeff Rossi. He's the New England Practice Leader for Transaction Advisory at Markham. Jeff, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Jacob. We're glad to be here. So to, to kick things off, Jeff, could you share with our listeners a bit more about your journey in, uh, in the world of mergers and acquisitions over your, your 30 plus years and maybe a little bit of what led you to become passionate about transaction advisory? Yeah. So as you know, as a service professional, serving clients as their trusted advisory, there's no more important transaction in the life cycle of the business than the exit. And uh, a lot of times it's monetizing um, for the family and we want to make sure that we get it right for them. Working with professionals such as you at Woodbridge, um, we get to give them a, a nice, happy exit and uh, it's great to be part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an emotional journey, you know, coming to uh, to the end of, a, of an era oftentimes uh, with business owners who uh, in many times have been doing this their, their whole lives. So definitely appreciate that. And I'd like to hear a little bit about, um, you know, your, your view here. I know that many business owners may not realize, you know, how, how valuable it is to have the right advisors for the selling process. And from your experience, what should business owners keep in mind when constructing a team around them to best position themselves for success? And, and how do they make sure that those advisors work best together, avoiding you know misaligned incentives? Yeah. So it's a great question, Jacob. I mean, you want to have alignment amongst your professionals, your investment banker, your accountant, and your legal team. I think it's really important to get alignment on that from day one, as soon as you decide to enter into a transaction uh, on a sell side. Uh, exiting the business and monetizing the investment. If you don't have an uh, alignment, you could really cause problems with the process. You know, at first I say, do your diligence, you know, on the investment side. The investment banker should be able to take you through recent transactions. And as you're, you're talking to that investment banker, you want to make sure that you, you understand their level of energy and passion. You want to see if they've done uh, some transactions in your industry. And then, um, chances are your, your CPA and, and your lawyer, you've been dealing with them uh, for a number of years. And right. you, you know you want to just have the same type of questions for them. Sometimes they, they have uh, done a lot of transactions. Sometimes they haven't. Um, it's a very important lifetime event. So you want to make sure as a seller, you do your diligence with all of your professionals and make sure there's alignment. And making sure that, that the professionals that you have around you understand the transaction business specifically, how how it goes when, when you're trying to sell a business, uh, how to deal with the private equity world, with strategic buyers and, and so on. Having that right expertise expertise around you, not just, uh, you know, it's often tempting to go with the people that you already know. But uh, I don't know if you have any experience or stories that you could tell us about uh, having some of the wrong advisors, how that's been detrimental to the process. Yeah. You know, I, I, I sat at the table very early on in my career with uh, one of my favorite clients of my my entire career here, uh, nice little machine shop here in Connecticut. Um, they were looking to exit, uh, you know, two, two owners, um, 82 years of age and 70 five years of age respectively and they were going to go to market and and I was on the, their side as their CPA for a number of years there there was a, a CPA for the buyer who uh, who came into the room we had a meeting with a potential buyer and the seller and he and he almost shut the whole trans 
transaction down within 15 minutes of the conversation stating that there was no value. Just just looked at the transaction at face value and the financial statements. This was a business that had sales of approximately 5 million and an adjusted EBITDA at a million dollars um, as is. And you know, we're looking at a four multiple. This this was, you know, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And I, I said to the uh, the buyer after listening to his CPA, you know, small, small local CPA try to shoot the deal down and punch a bunch of holes in it. I said, listen, can I, can I have 10 minutes of your time just one-on-one between you and I? And I said, listen, you're like starting to look at this transaction as it is where it is. Number one, I think you're moving the business to your, you know, a few miles away. You're moving the business out of here. So add the rent back. You don't need the accountant that's here. Take the accounting salaries out of here. Start taking some of the the owner's salaries and perks and benefits out of here from an adjusted EBITDA. In your world, this is close to two. Yeah. It's it's if it's trading at a four here, it's trading at a six seven once it's tucked into you. If you're looking at two, even on the the spread of two or three, look at the value that you're creating for yourself and, and your shareholders. Just just by doing this. So don't don't be so quick to shut this down. I'm not I'm not trying to sell you on it. You do it or you don't do it. We're gonna we're gonna find someone else who's gonna do this deal. I'm just trying to tell you, don't look at this in a box right now as it as it is as it sits here. Look at what it could be once tucked in. And he he thanked me, you know, for that. We went back, we brought all you know the seller and we brought the other advisors in the room. And he said, um, listen, uh, I think there's merit here for us to have further discussions. Um, let's just have the accountants work together and and I want to see on paper what this is going to be if you know not the way it is today but how it's going to be after it's tucked into my business right. and it was, the deal was done within you know 60 days so it was a, it was a no-brainer and to this day i'm still friends with the buyer yeah. which is unusual right you're on the other side of the table but it, it was great it was a it was a win-win for everybody right. and it was great to be part of that exactly that's part of you know having an open transparent process where everyone's looking for not just uh what's best for themselves but what's the best deal that can be had here you know and i yeah. think when it comes to to the q of e process generally as well. It's it's oftentimes that um, industry-specific expertise can come into play. And so I'd be I'd be keen to hear a bit more about what business owners maybe should look for in advisors to ensure that they can navigate the potential pitfalls effectively and, and understand the specific nuances that might uh, impact their deal. It's, yeah. So not all Q of E's are, are equal. I think what you want to look for is a quality of earnings team that has industry expertise yeah. on the team or has access to industry expertise within their organization. Here at Markham, we leverage out to our industry groups. Um, we're highly specialized in many industry groups, manufacturing and distribution, healthcare, not-for-profit, and uh, many others. I think it's important to understand the depth of the transaction team, but then the depth of the firm as well. And hopefully you're you're going to be with a group that's going to mirror all of the expertise within the firm and leverage that to provide the most value to the transaction. Excellent. And I guess the other big picture concept that we often discuss uh, in, in the accounting context in the world of mergers and acquisitions is normalized earnings. I think this has been especially crucial when dealing with extraordinary events like the pandemic and the normalization here now back from the pandemic. So could you share a bit about your experience, especially any anecdotes that might be helpful for a business owner to to keep in mind as they look to present a positive narrative for their business, and and how can we differentiate, you know, a downtrend versus uh, returning to pre-pandemic growth, for instance? Yeah, it's a great question, Jacob. I mean, as we move farther away from the impact of the, the pandemic, um, and companies are going to market now, it's still something to be considered. Um, we do normalize COVID impact through the years that were impacted uh, by the pandemic. It's uh, a story to tell, and you want to make 
make sure that you have uh, the buyer informed uh, about that. So as the company goes to market, a lot of times the trailing 12 months and uh, a couple of years before that I brought into the data book. I mean, you want to make sure you, you do a deep dive with ownership and the management team and get an understanding as to the exact impact mm. of the pandemic. And then the future uh, months subsequent to that impact will also tell the story as to how the business is, is more normalized um, if it has pulled back um, to full pre-pandemic uh, levels, or if there's still some lingering effects. You know, not all industries were impacted the same. Right. I mean, if you take the aerospace industry as a, as a prime example, um, you know, phones rang and uh, everybody was tell, told to stop shipping. And it was a very, very abrupt close to a lot of the manufacturers in that sector and other, you know, businesses and, and industry verticals that were impacted. Yeah. I think when you look now, that's one of the most robust industry sectors out there. So um, you want to make sure you normalize that through so that uh, a buyer can have an accurate picture as to what's really happening with the financial uh, volume and economic of the business. Yeah, and I think you see the opposite of it too, where where things after the pandemic, uh, we, we've seen big bounces, big upswings, uh, for instance, in, in sort of the revenge travel business, right? And so what is the sort of post-pandemic weirdness versus what is the actual run rate that we can expect to see going forward? I mean, do you have any any stories that you can tell us recently? Maybe uh, maybe it's still confidential, but something that you would be able to share just to give some insight as to as to the types of things that do pop up and and what business owners might want to try to get ahead of as they uh, enter into this process. Yeah, we've we've seen both swings, you know, positive and negative as impacts. You know, the healthcare side, specifically in the protective equipment side, that that, that was the hockey stick off right. the chart, you know, very unnormal level of transactions through the pandemic. Um, there's still, there's still, some of those businesses are still very strong and going strong uh, going forward. However, n- not during the pandemic. So that's a, a really a good example of the inverse effect of the pandemic and increased volumes. When we're normalizing those, we're, we're obviously taking that hockey stick growth mm-hmm. um, out of that and trying to normalize to, to what's going to happen going forward. And I think a lot of the time you see business owners getting, you know, it's it's an emotional experience uh, going through the sales process and to have a potential buyer come in and say, well, this growth isn't isn't really sustainable. You know, it, it can be um, something that can cause defensiveness. And so I'd, I'd be curious to hear beyond the financial aspects, you know, if you could share some insight on some of the emotional narrative of the selling process and, and how do business owners typically feel before and after the sale? How does it, how does it impact their lives and, and what do you, you know, you from the accounting side, how do you help them and and get them to see the clarity among all of this uh, emotional noise? Yeah, it's very, very emotional. Um, whether you know it, it was the the first generation, obviously, if it's something that they were the founder and started it, you know, idea in their garage or an idea in their basement, and they've carried this, you know, 30, 40, some cases, fifty years, and it's you know, it's literally the proverbial baby. It's very, very hard. Um, I alluded to that story before um, about that sale. You know, that was one of my favorite clients of my entire career. The majority shareholder uh, founded the company when he came home after being in the service and. And it was just, you know, labor of love. Um, the, every every single employee was family to him. And it was really heartbreaking to to get to that point in his life and the life cycle of the business to take that to market. And and I remember um, a, a lot of heated discussions um, about it being the right time. At, you know, at 82 years old, obviously the right time, no succession, no family members inherent on taking that business to market. Um, I can tell you, Jacob, that the emotions ran high right to the day of close um, when I met the, uh, the owner and the 
the parking lot and he, he looked at me and said, you know, if, if uh, some colorful language, if, if anyone <laughs> says anything that I don't like, I'm going to get my car and leave something to that effect. And I've obviously yeah. um, toned that down a bit. And I, I looked him straight in the face and I said, no, everything, everything's going to be great. You know, we're going to, we're going to get through this. This is the right thing for you and the family and, and the company. And uh, when I went into the, uh, so from the emotional psychology side, I went into the, the law firm where we were going to sign the docs, we got uh, reception, brought us into the conference room. I said, you know, just, just, uh, I got to go to the restroom. I'll, you know, I'll be right back. I excused myself from the conference room. I went, went down the hall, the buyer and uh, the attorney were coming down the hall. I said, listen, you know, I stopped everybody in the hall. I said, listen, we're going to, we're going to say good morning. We're going to present documents. We're going to sign documents. We're not going to say anything else. Mm-hmm. We're, when we're done, we're going to say thank you. Yeah. Because I didn't want anyone to say my name have a have a triggering effect. I mean, I don't, the emotions run high. I, I always try to advise folks that you're not going to run down Main Street. A lot of times, the emotions come into perceived value and reality, and a lot of times, people think things are worth more. Sometimes, the effective process can actually yield more, and that's great. You get the right investment banker to bring something to market. I tell, I try to continuously remind folks and tell them you're not going to run down Main Street and tell everyone what you sold your company for. You're going to look at your bank account. So take the emotion out of it and try to structure a transaction that maximizes your your after tax uh, net. Like don't get get hung up on a number. Sometimes the emotions run high on that number, but that number is not the number that matters. The the after tax, what's in the bank number matters most. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times you do see that anchoring effect, you know, where it's just, I need that certain number and that doesn't matter what's going on. Otherwise, that's the only thing that matters. And and navigating around that, especially, you know, in in times of uh, macroeconomic change, that I think is uh, oftentimes our our job as advisors to to help everyone, really, buyers and sellers to to navigate around those those points. Yeah. You know, look, look at the last year, you know, monetizing an enterprise over the last year, most folks, after they monetize, they put their uh, net after-tax proceeds to work, right? They're putting them in the market. So even if you accept it a little bit less, it wasn't exactly what you wanted. You could have potentially put it into the right sectors and, and really done well. So you're, you're, you're putting your net proceeds to work and then it's obviously could happen uh, in the inverse. So timing, you know, there's never going to be perfect timing. If we could all time the market, we all wouldn't be working. Um, I try to advise my clients of that. You know, let's take the emotion out of it. Let's look at what's going to happen post-sale. Let's look at how it's going to impact your life, your family, and then, you know, try to understand where other certain economic factors are going to impact, uh, you know, pot of gold that you've monetized out of the family business and see, you know, what's the right move to make going forward. Yeah, man, that's the, the exact right advice. And so, look, I, I'd like to ask a little bit more specific questions now about about your background and where you, you are right now. I know that you do a lot of uh, advisory work for University of New Haven uh, accounting department. What do you give as advice to to aspiring accountants? Yeah, so you know, I, I kind of always give the same advice. It's you know, follow your passions, whether um, and, and get experience. You know, as a student, you really don't know what your passions are, whether they're in audit, whether they're in tax, or whether they're in consulting. There's a lot of things that you can do as an accounting professional as as you embark from your college to career transition. Um, I'd say go out and get some relative experience, an internship or a co op, and then whatever. Most of all, I let everybody know whatever decision you make isn't for the rest of your life. You can kind of analyze it and pivot if you need to pivot. If you're if you're in audit, you can pivot to tax. If you're in audit, you can pivot to consulting and vice versa. So have an open mind, be a sponge, learn as much as you can, and realize that there's always options. And what do awards like the Hartford Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Most Trusted Advisor Award, things like that, what did that mean to you, and and how they influenced your career? Yeah, that was a, that was a special moment. I mean, the, the biggest thing is professional service provide 
provider is to is to gain that uh, trusted advisor position with your yeah. clients and then to be recognized by the Hartford Business Journal 40 under 40 you know that that meant a lot to me I, I think subsequent to that I've got uh, gotten a similar award from uh, Fairfield County um, it's just it's just great when the business community recognizes in your in your clients and referral sources recognize that you, you put your heart and soul into serving your clients and really trying to drive value each and every day um, it's nice it's just you know every once in a while it's just nice a little thank you along the way. Everybody, everybody knows that uh, in the transaction world, we kind of, kind of like SWAT, SWAT team. We're on on call pretty much twenty four seven. Even if you're on vacation, you know you can't hold up a deal because things are happening. So um, we want to be responsive, and that responsiveness, you know, eats into your family life, your personal life, and everything. And then when it gets recognized, and there's a little bit of a of thank you or recognition along the way, it's great. Absolutely, you know, and I think that's the the exact right point is trust. You know, building that trust with with clients with uh, with counterparties. It's just that's what makes transactions work. They don't work without trust. That's for sure. So Jeff, that was all I had uh, in terms of questions for you. Is there anything else that you would like to tell our audience? No, no. You know, speaking of trust, it's it's always great um, when we get to work with uh, Woodbridge and the Woodbridge International team. I know you guys established a lot of trust with your your clientele, and you do a lot of education, and you you weather the emotional. Um, side of the transaction world. And it's always fun to work with you and your team. So I appreciate you having me on today as part of the podcast. Thanks so much, Jacob. Thank you, Jeff. And I appreciate it. Same here. Working with you is always a pleasure. So Jeff Rossi, New England Practice Leader for Transaction Advisory at Markham. Thank you again for joining the show. Great. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening to another episode of Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insights. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.